Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome back. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton, and you're listening to Chef's Story. And today we're talking to Tony Maws up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We're on location in case you hear some restaurant uh, noise in the background. And for those of you who might not have the pleasure of uh, being in Cambridge and eating at uh, Craigie on Main, uh, Tony is one of the most um, awarded chefs up here in the New England area. Uh, James Beard Award winner, all the magazines, all the press here just adore him. And Food and Wine in 2005 called him one of America's top 10 best new chefs. So, you know, Tony, once again, happy to be here. Let's get back to it. You bet. So, after after France, after, uh, you know, a life of adolescent cooking yep. professionally, how did you get to Craigie on Main? How, you know what brought you here? Were you was it here and you became the chef? No, you, no, uh, no. You raised the funding. Yeah. And uh, but what were the what were the key mentors going along the way? Um, I, I I really point to Chris Schlesinger. Um, Great guy. Awesome, awesome guy. Uh, East Coast Grill, and then back then he owned the Blue Room, also in Cambridge. And uh, you know it's kind of weird that these days not a lot of the people, the young people, the young culinary people like know who Chris is but he was really um, a pioneer for American cooking yeah um, in the sense that he he had no fear he was doing a type of cooking that hadn't been done and that's really hard to do like in a time where everyone was doing this sort of continental cooking and that sort of same you'd see a lot of the same things in the 80s this guy went out on a limb and decided that he's going to cook everything on hardwood and he was going to bring in ingredients from like Southeast Asia and Central America and today that sounds unbelievably common um, but that's all because of what Chris did and he was a phenomenal teacher and uh, we had a lot of fun cooking there and there was always a lot of energy really just tremendous creative energy because we were always trying stuff and I got um, I worked for him long enough where I, be, you know, I got myself in a position where I was one of the people who got to try stuff you know the Friday Saturday special off of the grill would be like mine so that was a unbelievable opportunity and he was while he's a great guy he was hard to work for but in a what in way a very respectful way I remember I remember one thing where he said you know Tony I need you to I need you to uh, you know clean the storeroom and I kind of looked at him and I said okay but you know I said but and he said no but you're going to clean the storeroom because I'm your boss and then he walked away <laughs> and I was like yes sir you know yes chef and but we didn't call him chef he was still Chris but it was just it was, it was a fun place to work. It was high energy and high intensity. What did you learn there? Um, to experiment and to, to go out on a limb. Um, and I learned a lot just practically about hardwood cooking, um, which we don't do here at Kriya Main, but we'll probably do in my next place. But uh, it was just a, a tremendous organization. And who else influenced you? Um, I mean, Mark Miller 
uh, how Carity did you get Cafe. to Mark? How is Mark? Uh, Mark is awesome. Mark's, yeah. a, Mark's a Boston boy. So I didn't know oh, him in Boston, really? but that's okay, but definitely he's something. In Southwest. He is so, Mr. Yeah. Southwest he is, for he all is. you youngins out there. So, but he he's also iconic. He is one of the original Chez cooks. Yes. Which also gets, I think, overlooked all the time. I mean, he was in the kitchen with Judy Rogers and Jeremiah Tower. And um, I was working for Chris, and my time was up there, and I had done a good job. And Chris said, Tell me who you want to work for, I'll send you there. And I had been working with this live fire, and I thought that the next you know extension was to go work for Mark. So he sent me to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I got the job and had an unbelievable year in Santa Fe. It's a very, I mean, obviously it's a special place, but it was a special kitchen. We had a really good group of people there. And then I ended up in San Francisco. And I kept on sort of just pointing to restaurants that I thought were doing a good job, regardless of style. I ended up at uh, La Folie in San Francisco under Roland Passeau. That's um, so different than Mark Miller. <laughs> That's like I got, I got polar the t- opposite. Exactly. I got the town and <laughs> and uh, a guy, a friend of a friend of a friend was, and this this world is, we're all connected, Richard Reddington, who now is a great restaurant, Red, and he had worked for Roland for a long time and said, if you want to learn how to cook, this is a great learning kitchen. It was small. It was, I mean, when I say, I've now used the word intense too many times, but this was like the epitome of that. It yeah. was hard and Roland very was, French. Yes, and Roland is on the line every night and on the line physically, emotionally, the, emotionally, like slamming his hand down on the counter, like, oh la la, you know, <laughs> <laughs> frequently calling us stupid Americans, you know, but in a uh, kind of in a loving, odd way. Yeah. Um, and I got to work side by side with him. It was just this incredible experience. And that Where almost did was you learn my. the business? <sighs> you know, not the cooking. To, to run a place like this, yeah. this is just a really well-run business. Thank you. You've got um, your staff. I mean, your staff is beautiful. The, honestly, the I... energy here what, is Whatever my business acumen is, wherever it comes from, i, I got to really point that to my parents. I mean, they were both entrepreneurs. They both own their own businesses. They oh, both, really? Oh. Yeah. They both were successful. They both taught me about work ethic. Um, uh, my mom, especially, who's involved in this business, has been an incredible resource and role model and idol and and I know that you know moms are in their own way but she sort of surpassed that um, and she's a butt kicker too and she's <laughs> my, my harshest critic in a very loving way um, and I think because of uh, our approach we sort of attracted people who wanted to do it the right way too so I've always been fortunate to work with like the best accountant the best bookkeeper um, and had really good advisors and my approach for me, even though I would learn a lot of things the hard way by doing it myself, was to, you know, be true to myself and do it the right way. So when you, I'm honest. When you opened Craigie on me. So we know well, I opened Craigie Street Bistro first. Ah. So I gathered, you know, Did whatever. You had to get the investors and. We gathered pennies, um, and I borrowed some money from my parents, and my mom, and uh, uh, we opened up Craigie Street Bistro. I mean, we. We purchased this existing restaurant in this basement of this apartment building with like no parking spots and in Cambridge. In Cambridge is in is in the Harvard Square side. And we were there for six years, and uh, you know for just like just under a couple hundred thousand dollars, which is nothing, which is pennies. We purchased it and then I opened it for fifteen thousand dollars. What was your vision for it? I when I was in France, I was spending time, you know, like I said, going to Paris, and and uh, it was just about the same time that Jeffrey Steingarten wrote. Uh, his first book, and then there was this, uh, his description of the Bistro Modern, um, which were all these guys, girls, coming out of Michelin-starred restaurants, giving their finger to the system, 
and saying, I'm going to buy these little places. I'm going to buy the same ingredients. I'm going to use the same techniques that I've been taught, but I'm not going to put it on fancy china. I'm not going to buy thousands of dollars worth of flowers. I'm going to cook food. That's what I'm going to do. And, and people responded. And when I was in Paris and eating at La Regalade and Osamuel and Lepi Dupin and stuff like that, um, it, it just sort of dawned on me. Like, this is not what I want to copy. This is me. This is who I am. I, I, people have heard me say this before. I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy. But I love champagne, caviar, and foie gras. And I didn't understand why I had to be at Le Bristol or Le Maurice to do that. And I love those restaurants for what they are. But I don't think that that's the only way you have to have that kind of food um, or those ingredients in your food. So I began to really think, like, you know, what does this mean? So Craigie Street Bistro was my first way of sort of saying that. Like, nothing matched. All the silverware didn't match. The plates didn't match. I couldn't afford anything that was going to do that. I, I reused all the tables and chairs from the restaurant that was there before us. I even used... They're big, bulky plates. I had this um, uh, wolf range that was 25 years old that broke down every single Saturday night. You know, it was crazy. It was madness. And I cooked. Like, I just cooked. I thought, you know, I had been working at Clio. And I How had big was your, uh, your crew in the kitchen? Starting? Yeah. When we opened up Craigie Street Bistro, it was me, one cook who came and hung over every single day, and one dishwasher. <laughs> And after it must have been real good. <laughs> stand up to you, hungover. How, and how many covers a night would you do? Well, so in the early days, it wasn't so much. I mean, we were only forty plus seats, and we were doing like you know sixty, and it'd be big if we did like seventy covers. And then, then Gourmet Magazine came in when they were still Gourmet Magazine and called us their editor's pick. Ooh, was that when Ruth was there? Of the city, Ruth was there. Ooh. She was not the one in the restaurant. Then, no, but I, I mean, think, that, that, that's... That was kind of huge. We were the editor's pick for the city, and all of a sudden the phone started ringing off the hook, and we said, uh-oh, I think I need another cook. So we quickly sort of expanded the, um, you know, the employee base, both front and back of the house, and people were coming all over the place, and we didn't have a bar for people to wait in. Um, we had nothing, but people kept on coming. But you were there for six years. I was there for six years. So then... Was that what said, okay, let's do this right, or let's expand? How did well, Craig and I, mean I might argue about? we were doing it right. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, with the bar outside. Yeah, so, so we, we, well, we had an opportunity. Like, yeah. after a bunch of those years, and, and Food and Wine called. I still remember the call from Dana Cowan. Um, it was actually a funny story. Do I have time to tell you a funny story? Hmm. Okay, so some of you might know Pete Wells, oh, who yeah. is now the dining critic for the New York Times. And back then, he was a freelance writer. And he wrote this article about Grant Atkins when Alinea was just about to open up and it was a great article um, but it was also sort of my interpretation of this article was that he was saying that you kind of needed to be this kind of restaurant this was going to be the next great restaurant and all great restaurants were going to be like this and I got really pissed off because I was really proud of what I was doing in this little basement of mine and you know we were doing riffs on classical stuff but doing our own thing too and I thought it was delicious food so how do you define best and how do you define what's going to be next and great so I actually wrote a letter to the editor, Food and Wine, saying, I'm pissed. You know, how do you compare these things? Like, what is great? I just, what I just said. So I remember being in my little kitchen, and the phone on the wall had caller ID, and the phone rang, and it said American Express, and that's, of course. I, and I, I don't know how I put the two together. I just knew that Food it and Wine is owned by wine. American yeah, Express. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. You know, like, I don't get this phone call on the, on the kitchen line. <laughs> so I picked it up, well, you know. Is Tony there? Yeah, this is Tony. Um, hi, this is Dana Cowan from Food and Wine. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, like I said, like, am I in trouble? And you should have known better. <laughs> You're the head of Food and Wine not to call me during service. Yeah, right? I'm like, am I in trouble? Did I? Did you get my letter? And she was, letter? letter? Oh, yeah, your letter to the other. Yeah, in fact, we're actually going to publish it. And I said, oh, 
Okay. Thank you. Thanks. And she says, well, just to show you that that's not what we think, congratulations, you're one of our best new chefs this Yay! year. Like I dropped the phone out of my hand. You know, I was like, what? So they had been secret <laughs> yeah, shopping you. Exactly. Oh, wow. So that's my funny what story. What a great story. Um, but so, it's... Uh, so then, so... It was, so that was back at the bistro. That was back at the bistro, so, and we were just working our tails off, just trying to do it the right way. You know, we, we didn't have a lot of bells and whistles there either. I used to have to send... We had these rooms down the hall in the basement of this apartment building. There were these closets for the apartments, and as people would move out, we would take over their closet so I could have more space. And we had circulators plugged in on, like, you know, 50 feet of extension cord and, you know, all these other refrigerators that we could finally fit back there to, you know, store some of our stuff and... It was madness, but we had a great time cooking there. But All right, that, we're going to take Craigie on Main. We're going to take another uh, break, and when we come back, we're going to hear all about Craigie on Main. Sure. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. Okay, we're back. And uh, today we're talking to Tony Moss, uh, owner, chef extraordinaire of Craigie on Main and a new place to come, which we're going to talk about. But right now we're moving from the bistro to how, what was the vision for Craigie on Main? Why did you, you obviously loved that bistro. I did, and there, oh there are parts God. about it, there are parts about it that I'll always miss. Yeah. There are parts about it that I'll never miss. You know, it was, <laughs> it was tough working in this basement, and I think that um, when we began to actually get a little bit of confidence that maybe we were going to be okay at this thing, uh, we also began to realize that, you know, we say no to so many people there. We said no to parking because we didn't have it. We said no to being able to serve people a cocktail because we only had beer and wine. We said no to people being able to wait for a table because there was literally nowhere for people to wait. We couldn't do large parties. We, I mean, no, 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 no. And um, even tasting menus, like if I wasn't getting crushed in the kitchen, I could do tasting menus. But if I was getting crushed in this shoebox of the kitchen, I couldn't do the tasting menus. It just didn't work. So we said, well, maybe we can do a restaurant. Maybe we can do a restaurant that's going to have a bar that's going to have a place for people to park where people can wait um, that'll have a kitchen that I can actually try to do some of the things that I've been dreaming about doing and, and not change my personality about who we are about food but just do it better you know we believe in something called Kaizen which is a Japanese term it means continual improvement so my next step in my my Kaizen was to put myself in a position to do that and uh, we stumbled across a you know, sort of iconic building in Central Square it had been a, a great red sauce Italian place since 1971 called the Grosseria. And the family that owned the building owned the restaurant, and they were sort of tired of running the restaurant. And we 
literally just walked in and said, not knowing that at the time, like saying, we'd love your restaurant. How about you sell it to us? And they said, yeah. They said, people have been asking for years and we weren't ready and now we're ready. And, and oh. we, we looked at this old, it's actually two storefronts that have now been connected. And, you know, the building was built in the early 1800s. There are pictures of this building with the, uh, the original red line being dug outside of Main Street. That's the RT, the subway. Um, and, you know, we're sort of like this old school kind of Cambridge, frumpy, I don't know, shabby chic kind of place. So like going to another old building, but that also has its own basement <laughs> issues. We have those too. But it just seemed um, like a logical place. And we gutted it and uh, we raised the money and we've got some no- tremendous note holders and a bank that's been very, very good to us. And, uh, you know, a lot of people believed in us and, and to this day Was I'm it easy humbled. to raise the money? I mean, there are a lot of wannabe... Um cooks out there and want their own place no it's it was never it because easy. of you, it's never you easy. here you had a six-year track record yeah. you got every award that a young chef could you know possibly want but we're a diamond made. we're a diamond dozen i mean people had to believe in what we we're doing and they had to believe in what we were doing and actually the very beginning of the recession oh. which is pretty crazy yeah. um, when we actually signed the lease for this restaurant and began to raise funds like the new york times came out and said the world's gonna end you know like yeah Everything's going yeah. to shit. So that's when you raised the money for you. Yeah, it was hard. So how how when you opened? Yep. Were you an immediate success? Well, I mean, part of the whole recession thing, and that's like where the burger came from. I, I said I, of course, I've got these grand images in my head of what I want to do, but I also own this business. And my, I mean, to be frank, you know, you guys should understand this out there. Like my mortgage is on the line. Like I had to pledge that. So that's, wow, that was a long conversation with my wife. You know. Um, so I said, I gotta, I gotta fill this restaurant. Like I'll do tasting menus, but I, I gotta make sure that people are coming and paying because right. I got people to pay back and right. I got, I got, I got my know, house to I save. I got my house to save. <laughs> so um, we got the burger in the bar and we do tasting menus throughout the restaurant and we do pre fees in other ways. And at one point we had a bar menu. We were like, whatever we gotta do, get them in. Like whatever we gotta do. So we're, I, I think, you know, at that point. Um, so now, you know, wait, wait, web, now you're going to do it again, right? Now, you're going to open a new, I'm new a mas- restaurant? I'm a masochist. Now, is this... So this has been hugely successful. We feel very lucky, yes. yes. We, we work and, hard. And you, and you work hard, and it's just fantastic. We've got good people here. Why, why not just watch the Super Bowl tomorrow, you know, <laughs> enjoy yourself? Why take the next restaurant step? Um, you know... Everyone has asked for a long time, would I open up another restaurant? And my, my answer has always been no. I think it's one of those things, like, if someone's going to ask you, you're going to have a baby, and you're just not ready for that yet. But one of these days, you just sort of figure you're going to. Um, I've got a great team in place here. There's a, another type of food that I want to cook. It's kind of like the food that I like to cook in my house on Mondays when I'm off with my family. Like, everything is really well-prepared and well-seasoned, but it's just simple and delicious. Um... I love my restaurant. This is always going to be my baby. But I would love to do something that was a little bit more casual, a little bit more rustic, a little bit louder. So this is the new restaurant. This is the new restaurant. Where is it going to be? It's um, located right on the Cambridge and Somerville line. Uh, And it's so just a mile, a little over a mile from here. It's uh, next tour to this iconic Spanish tapas restaurant called Dali. It used to be called the Kirkland Cafe, and we're going to take over that spot. So we just signed our lease. Um, and we're waiting for the license transfer to be approved. Then we'll start building probably in two or three months. So we're settling on a name. Um, but it's going to be 
it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be you know great energy. It's gonna be. Um, I mean, Craig Yamane, I think, is a is a pretty low pretense restaurant for fine dining, and this is going to be a low pretense restaurant for casual dining. dining. It's going to be our style. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be a lot of a lot of good roasted, grilled meat and fat. And Any interesting equipment you're putting in? Just getting to thinking about that right now. I mean, I, I alluded, you know, I said before that I I really loved cooking on um, live fire, and I miss that tremendously because we don't have that here, and I definitely want to incorporate that into the new place. So. Tell me, you also have a great sense of uh, responsibility to the community here. Well, where, I where can't. Does that come, where I, does that come from? I mean, you, I don't you know. do fundraising, you do, you know, I, my, I have a lot of I have a lot of people in my family who are pretty politically active, so maybe part of it's my own guilt of thinking, like, well, what am I doing for the people? I, I get to cook for people every day, and I get to put a lot of smiles on people's faces, and I never take that for granted. That's, that's really powerful. It's really tremendous. Um, but I, I don't just look at the people who can afford to come to Kogia Maine as being part of that. Like my community, I can't do what I'm doing in this place without um, Central Square, or I can't do what I'm doing feeding people who can afford to be here without thinking about the people who can't afford to be here. And then when I had a son, um, you know, four and a half years ago, and I'm looking at this little person who I'm now responsible for feeding, it made me think very differently about food and who gets fed and when and how. Um, so, I mean, there are tremendous charities out there in the world, but we've really focused a lot of our energies on um, Cambridge itself and things having to do with uh, childhood hunger and food. You know, we do a lot of work with uh, Share Our Strength. And... Okay, we've got the, we've got the bartender, but that's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we're, in the, we're in the restaurant. Here we go. Um... So we do a lot of work with Share Our Strength, and that's very important to us. And uh, um, and then, of course, how we cook our food and some of the politics and philosophies that are, are very important to us. So, you know, chef's collaboratives and things like that. Yeah, do you think... What do you think of the role of the chef politically in the whole... I mean, I well, really I think I more, than, more than any other... I, I personally think more than any other sector... Our chefs have done more for improving the food chain, helping mid-sized farmers, you know, exist yeah. because yep. you can buy in bulk. I mean, um, how do you see, you know, if you look 10 years down the road, can you give us any thoughts about what you think is going to change in food? And how? Oh, wow. That's a tremendous question. I mean, I, there's food is, in the world of restaurants has been exposed in such a different way in the past decade. And I think that there's some things that I sort of get annoyed about. I mean, I don't really enjoy being in the spotlight. And those are words that you were mentioning. I mean, they're really nice and, and they are good for morale for my staff and everyone here has worked really hard. So I guess the, the best way that I know how to use that is to try to do, you know, some something good. And I think in that sense, that's what chefs can do. I don't think it's necessarily my um, responsibility. I don't know if that's for everybody. Um, but I think I, but if, if I you can have enough work, just yeah, right? run in the restaurant. But if I but right? if I can, I'm gonna. And, and how that how that transforms? I mean, you just see it with how interested people are with food right now, and and if there's a trend getting back to real ingredients and pork that actually tastes like pork, so it wasn't engineered to taste like something different, and you know, fish that is being sustainably raised. There's nothing wrong with that. So if I can influence that in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not trying to be hippy dippy about it. I don't want to bring my politics to everybody. Um, and I don't know how green of a restaurant we are. I feel like I just have my own moral compass that I want to abide by. And 
um, do things the right way. Well, I think on that, you you're quite an inspiration, and uh, hopefully, thank my you. grandmother and my grandfather think I'm, I'm doing okay. I think they'd be very proud. Thanks for the interview today. You bet. Thank okay. you very much. All right. Can I get a reservation? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.